Hey, it's Ryan Reedy, and this is episode 121 of the Two Minute Tennis Podcast. So really excited today because I've got my fourth installment of what I've been calling the best of five series, where I bring tennis experts onto the podcast to help you, the recreational tennis player, gain confidence, win more matches, and play much better tennis. Today, I'm super excited to have Claire Carter join me. Claire, how are you? Hi, Ryan. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited for this episode. I've been following you for a while on Instagram. I love your energy. I love your presence. I love your tennis know-how. For the listening audience, can you just give me kind of like a five sentences or less storybook, you know, comic book number one origin from where you started tennis kind of to the present? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, uh, I started uh, tennis in England. I'm from England, although my accent has changed a lot uh, living here for over 20 years. But um, yeah, I grew up playing tennis in England uh, from about age eight until 19. I played uh, all my junior tennis there. I, I competed on the ITF junior circuit. I played junior Wimbledon twice. Um, and then I came out to the States for college. I went to university of Washington in Seattle and, uh, was a four-time all American and, uh, you know, love, love tennis. Uh, I, I competed, um, and got a WTA ranking in singles and doubles, um, thought about going professional. I played a lot of professional tournaments, um, uh, you know, met my husband in college and, uh, you know, decided that I didn't really want to be on the tour, um, you know, and uh, but still love the sport and wanted to coach. And so I've been coaching for about 14. No, do the math. 16 years now. Um, and I just love it. I'm, I'm teaching at a club in the, in the Bay Area, Bay Clubs, and uh, absolutely love it. Um, and uh you know, actually one of those years I was the assistant coach at University of Washington. So I really enjoyed teaching in college, but found that uh, I most enjoyed teaching at the club level. So that's what I'm doing. Uh, well, you can definitely tell that you enjoy it. Just if I'm definitely going to be adding your Instagram handle into the description of the podcast, so people can click on it and follow you. Please follow Claire. She's got amazing tips and just this infectious warmth and energy that just gravitates you to her. And so I'm so excited to have you on to give five of your favorite tips that you over the years have experienced how much these these tips help recreational players. So let's start it off. What's tip number one? Yeah, so uh, tip number one is uh, basically at home exercises. Right now, um, we're going through a tough time with coronavirus all around the world and people are in lockdown and, and quarantine and you know, having a tough time getting to a tennis court. So I was thinking of uh, some of the things that I used to do as a player, but also encourage my, my students to do, and that's uh, shadow stroke. And so, you know, ideally you're going to do it with your racket, but if you don't have a racket, you can always just use your hand. And one of the tips I like to do is, uh, is tell people to really watch yourself in a mirror. If you don't have a mirror, you can close your eyes. And what this does is it really helps your muscle memory And so you can really see or feel the kinetic chain moving through your body during that sequence of shots, uh, forehand, backhand, serve. Um, And, you know, I say you've got to be able to do it without the ball before you can, you know, implement it with the ball. 
Uh, another way that I, I, I like to tell people to do it is you can incorporate a fit, fitness element to it by practicing different footwork patterns, moving forward, side to side or backwards. And I think this helps you maybe add some visualization uh, and you can, you know, play, imagine a point, develop a pattern of play, um, play that point out in your mind from, from the serve to a rally, um, hitting, you know, inside out forehand winner against your biggest rival. So I think that's a great exercise that you could work on at home. No, I 100% agree. I can remember growing up uh, in the hallways of middle school. I remember my one math teacher, Mr. Clark. I, I was the worst, worst math student, but uh, thanks, Mr. Clark. Um, but he had this r relay baton, think like uh, a four by 100, where they're handing off a, a baton. For, he was the track coach. And his hall pass to go to the bathroom actually was a relay uh, baton. And I can just remember going down the hallway, shadow swinging four hands and backhand volleys. And as people saw me go by, I was literally practicing my technique on volleys. It is so, it. it is so important to shadow swing. Um, I did it as a junior. Obviously I did it, you know, in school, even when I wasn't even with a racket, it's, re I loved how you said, do it with a mirror, because I think a lot of players, they don't know what they're doing. And you, like you said, the muscle memory, if they're practicing something that's incorrect, well, then they're just ingraining it even more. And so being able to watch yourself filming yourself, I'm a big believer in filming and it's such an important tip. And if you can do it, like you said, without a ball, that's when you actually have the chance to do it with a ball. So especially with how terrible you know, the times are right now with this virus and how everything's on lockdown. This definitely makes people think outside the box and maybe the players who never really wanted to shadow swing. Now they kind of have to scratch their tennis itch by actually doing something maybe they didn't want to do. And I think there are going to be a lot of players who benefit from that in the shadow swinging. So I love this tip and I love that you made it number one because I think it is without a doubt, it's one of the easiest ways for any to, anybody to practice at any time. What do you have for tip number two? Yeah, so tip number two is to do with footwork and the split step. I think this movement is not incorporated enough at the club level. Um, you know, recreational players anywhere from two, five to four, five, uh, walking around the club and, and I don't see a lot of split steps. And I think one of the main reasons is, you know, people find it really difficult to implement the timing and they just feel like, oh, that's one more thing I have to do. Um, but I think another reason why the split step is so good is it actually makes you start paying attention to your opponent. So when they're hitting the ball uh, and, and really concentrating on the racket preparation, is your opponent attacking? Uh, are they off balanced? And so... I think it's twofold, really. It makes you concentrate on your opponent, but the actual movement of doing a split step is going to help you become more balanced and have a better, um, you know, position. And so the drill I like to use um, is split and hit. So basically what this does is when you hit the ball, you will say out loud hit, and your opponent will say split and do a split. And then the reverse happens. When your opponent hits the ball, you're going to say split and do a split, and they'll be saying hit. So what happens is 
you'll you'll notice right away it's very difficult to say something out loud while you're hitting again it feels like you've got one more thing to think about but i think it's a way to um, really speed up that tennis iq and if we can really incorporate the timing that's going to help you with the split step because the split step is really a light movement you're you're on your toes you're not he, heels are not on the ground and so i think it's a really great movement that's going to help you improve as a tennis player but also make you aware of your opponent yeah I'm, wow you, there's so much value in what you just said I, it's funny when you just mentioned i had this big smile on your my face when you mentioned how it forces you to now really pay attention to your opponent it's funny because i have students who adults who in the past have said oh my gosh, now I'm actually watching my opponent because I have to know when to split step. And, I'm like, and as, as silly as that could sound, like, well, of course, on the surface, to the person who's experiencing that for the first time, their reaction time gets quicker, they're now balanced, they now have a more explosive first step, and it really is that light bulb. One of the ways I suggest for players to practice their split step is to actually just put on one of their favorite matches of all time on their phone or on computer, you can always like cast it onto your TV. And what I recommend Claire is that they make the person at the top of their, of the screen, their opponent. So let's say you want to play Serena or you want to play Osaka or you want to play Federer. Now you, you have that person, let's say it's joke. Let's say the final last year, Djokovic and Fed, right. And Wimbledon. And now you become Djokovic and you're playing Federer and the person at the top of the screen, Federer is now your opponent. And you're just in front of the TV, moving your feet. And then as they hit the ball, you're doing the split step. What I like to tell my students is look, like you said, Claire, it's one more thing to think about. Well, why not practice the split step at home in front of a TV where you're, you don't have to worry about hitting the ball. There are no league points or ladder points that you got to worry about. And now you can practice the split step and not worry about anything else, partner, switch, you know, your, your, your serve grip that's been frustrating you, nothing. All you can worry about now is the split step. And I think it's a really cool way to practice the split step. And you're 100% right. The 2-5-3-0, even players oftentimes neglect this. And it is such an easy easy way to get to more balls, get better balance. It's phenomenal. I absolutely love this tip. What do you got for tip number three? All right. So tip number three is, is doubles. I think uh, at least at my club and I think a lot of clubs around the world, uh, people play doubles a lot more than singles. Um, and so I have a drill that I use. I call it the triangle dance. And basically what this movement, what this drill does is it really helps you to follow the ball. I think we've all been in matches where, um, you know, we're, we're at the club level, we're up at the net and we really want to hit the ball, but the ball's not coming to us and we end up being quite flat-footed and feeling like we're not helping our partner. And so what this, what this does is it really helps you become involved in the point. And I think as a result, the movement will help you get to reach more balls and be a more effective doubles player. And so the triangle, basically, if you, you've got the four positions in doubles, the server, the server's partner, the returner, and the returner's partner. So if we picture ourselves as the server's partner up at the net in the middle of the box, that's going to be one corner of the triangle. I then mark off the court diagonally from that first position. I put down a, a marker close to the net 
where we ideally would like to be to hit a poach. And then if we move backwards towards the service line and the T, I put another marker there and then go back towards that original first position. So that's the triangle that I that I mark on the court. And basically what the, what the player is doing is following the ball. So we're starting in the middle of the court when our partner serves, when the ball lands just as your opponent's head has gone down to hit the ball and their racket's coming towards the ball, we're looking to go diagonally forward to poach it. Now, if we can't reach it because they hit too good a return, what we do is then we backpedal facing the net and we get as close to the tee as we can. And I think that is such an important position in doubles because a lot of times if we don't come back to that position and our partner hits down the line, it goes right through the middle. But if we've done that movement in the triangle, we're now in the center of the court to help our partner. If our partner is then able to hit a good shot cross court past the net player, then I follow my triangle back to that original position. So you're doing this movement where we are following the ball um, and there's definitely a branch off to the side, you know, to cover the alley in certain situations. But I think this triangle helps you be more active, helps you be more alert um, in poaching and attacking, but also in defending and helping your partner in the center of the court. Absolutely love it. Claire, i got a question for you. When you are in a, in a um, maybe like a social setting, maybe like at a mixer at your tennis club, or if you're just doing a clinic and somebody or a drill and somebody says, uh, I don't like doubles because it's a lot of standing around <laughs> is the first thing you think of is, well, then you're not doing the, the, the triangle drill, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, I think when people grasp this concept and, and have the visual on the ground and uh, sometimes, you know, I'm going to get out there and demo. It's like a light bulb goes off and they're so excited, you know, afterwards they're like, wow, that was such a great clinic. And then I have people afterwards, you know, after matches or they see me at the club and they're like, Claire, I really implemented the triangle and I hit so many poaches. You'd be so proud of me. And I protected the ball through the middle. And I think it's a really fun um, visual. And I think right away, you know, it does take some practice and we definitely, you know, depending on the level of players uh, in my clinic, sometimes we'll just walk through the movement and even just have the players throw the ball instead of hitting the ball just to grasp the concept. Um, but even at the higher level, four five or, or even above, you know, you can, you can really cover a lot of the court, even though they're hitting the ball very hard past each other. Um, but I think uh, once you grasp this, you, you definitely will jump one or two levels in your doubles play. Yeah, there's no doubt. You know, what's funny is what I say to my doubles uh, men and women is, look, if you want to increase your level of play in doubles, change where you're ending. And, and I'm always saying that. And it's hard for players to understand that, yes, you're at the net and you're trying to poach, but it's a two-way street. And when you're at the net, yes, you're trying to poach and maybe like attack and hit it right at the other net person's feet, but they're trying to do it to you. And so when the ball gets behind you, that's when you've got to back up and be a little leery of possibly your partner hanging you out to dry where your partner's going to hit it too close to the net player and they're coming at you. This tip is, I guarantee for all you listeners, this tip, like Claire just said, you are going to raise a level or two in your doubles once you get this concept. Absolutely love it. Have you, Claire, 
made a video on this on Instagram about the triangle yet? Yes, okay. I believe I have. Good. Yeah, I have. I've made quite a few, but off the top of my memory, I'm pretty sure I have. Yeah. Good, good. I Because I definitely want people to see that. So hopefully if you all follow her, maybe she'll repost it or make a new one because that right there is definitely one that takes a little bit of a visual. Uh, but man, oh man, so many players are going to win more matches because of that tip. So what do you got for tip number four? Tip number four is mental. I think uh, one of the most important parts of tennis uh, is a very mental game. And I think in club tennis, um, I'm as a coach, I'm definitely guilty of uh, working on technique and strategy. And I think the mental aspect is so, so, so important. So what I like to try and encourage players to do is practice, um, practice that in their matches. Sorry, I'm sorry. Practice um, putting yourself in a match-like situation. So you, you're going to come across a lot of challenging situations in your matches and try, try to recreate that in practice. So what I like to do um, with my students is work on closing out matches. You know, we've all been in that situation where we've um, been uh, up a break or, you know, a couple breaks and your opponent started coming back or we've been up 40 love and that really changed the momentum of the, of the game and of the match. And so what I like to do is do a drill where you're playing points out and this could be singles or doubles. And the first team, the first side of the court that gets to 40, they have to close out that point. So if you and I, Ryan, are playing a match and let's say I have 40 and I'm serving and you have 15. Now that pressure is on me at 40 to close out the game. So if I do win that point, then I win the game. However, if I don't win that point, I have 40, my score will go to zero and your score will carry on. So instead of it being 40-15, it now becomes love 30. And so what this does is it really emphasizes that, that pressure point. And I think sometimes people don't necessarily think of 40 love or 40-15 as a pressure point. But as we know, the, the stats on matches um, with with the amount of points accumulated every single point you accumulate is very important and so uh, my students have really enjoyed playing this game and it creates a really fun environment when you can be down love 40 and then suddenly you're up 15 love or um you know 40 30 and then you're up 40 love so um i think this is a great way there's loads of different exercises that you can do on court um to help you with your mental match play. And that's just one example that I like to use with my players. Great, great idea. I get questions all the time in direct message. You know, I, I, I hit so well in practice, but then I can't translate it to a match. And something that simple where you implement, and this is on the coach, like the coaches have to come up with creative ways in a group setting to get players to feel pressure. And that is such a simple way, even for the people listening, if they just go out and play a set that way with a friend, that would create such a fun and uh, like you pressure packed situation where now it's a new way of playing that will help to, because really, let's be honest, I'm sure when you were playing junior Wimbledon, it's not easy to talk to, to recreate that pressure in a, in a, in a clinic setting, but you can be creative and that's a really creative way to 
put pressure on the students. It makes it fun. It makes it lively. All of a sudden you, you hear two courts down and somebody's like, you've got to be kidding me. I was up 40 love. You know, it, it just creates a fun atmosphere and a lightheartedness, but yet at the same time pressure, which is so needed in order to maximize how well you play in the actual matches that count. All right. What do you got for tip five, Claire? So tip number five is consistency. So I think Tennis is a very difficult sport, um, and I think it's very complicated. But one of the ways I like to break it down for my students is, um, you know, if you get the ball in more times than your opponent, you're going to be very successful. And so a drill that I used to do a lot as a player was rally, attack, defend. And so what this does is it really helps cut down your unforced errors. And the, the way it does that is it makes you aware of your shot selection. So what, what you do is you play out the point and before you hit the ball, you have to say which of those categories you are in. Are you rallying? Are you attacking? Or are you defending? And so if you break down, you know, defending, you're probably going to be in zone five behind the baseline. What type of shot do you want to be doing when you're defending, hitting it higher, hitting it a little softer, maybe trying to get it a little bit deeper? rallying is going to be where you're holding your position on the baseline, maybe inside the baseline. You're hitting a good tempo type of speed shot where you can maintain it for a long time, you know, moving your opponent around the court, good net clearance, and then attacking, you know, you're hitting the ball harder, faster racket head speed, a little bit lower over the net, maybe even coming towards the net, hitting riskier shots like drop shots. And so what I found with my students, we do this as a rally game, we do this as a competitive game, and it really makes them aware of their shot selection and it really does cut down the run forced errors. I think a lot of times you'll find people want to be saying attack, attack, attack. But if you're always attacking, you're going to be making more unforced errors. And so ideally we want to be rallying longer and in that zone so that we can set up opportunities to attack and recognize that if you are defending, sometimes it only takes one good shot to get you, get you out of that situation. Um, and so I've found this drill really successful with all levels, um, juniors, adults, and it really does make you more aware of where you are in the court. It improves your decision-making. It makes you focus on where the ball is landing and if you want to take it one step higher, then what you can do is you have to say whether you're rallying, attacking or defending before your opponent hits the ball. And so that ties into what we were talking about earlier and paying attention to your opponent. So if you notice that they are attacking, then you're going to be saying defending. Or if you hit a really good shot and notice that they're defending, then you're going to say attack before they hit the ball. So there's lots of different levels that you can go up and down with this drill, but I love it. I did it as a player and I found it really helpful for my students. When I'm coaching, when I was coaching now that the coronavirus has closed everything down, but I, and I miss it so much getting back on court and just talking with you is making me miss it even more. Yeah. When an opponent, I'm sorry, when one of my students misses a shot, the first thing I often ask, and I, I don't try to make a correction technically or footwork wise until I ask a certain question. And the question I ask is, well, what were you trying to do with that ball? Because if they're trying something that's incorrect, like you said, 
people are trying to attack. If somebody's moving back toward the baseline and they've got a high backhand on their one-hander and they're thinking, oh, I'm trying to rip this ball down the line. Well, of <laughs> course, of course, that would be not in their best interest. It would cause them to lose more points than they would win. And so the first correction would actually be their intentions. And as long as the student is making the right decision on, like you said, attack, rally, or defend, once that mental decision-making is correct, then you can start to build the swing and the footwork on that correct decision-making. One of the questions I like to ask my students is, what percentage of the time do you pick? And this kind of ties in exactly with what you're saying in, in a slightly more specific way. But one of the questions I ask is, what percentage of the time do you pick a very specific height over the net you're trying to hit? And you can always like look at the faces, you know, and they're, they're like, oh, I never even thought of that. Yeah. yeah. Play. And I don't know if you've ever seen, I like to do a drill where I take a balloon and I just float the balloon above the net, like a helium balloon Yes. on a, on a string. Yeah. It's amazing how, first off, people don't realize how hard they can hit the ball and how high they can hit it and the ball still goes in. It's funny, people will just miss the balloon. The balloon's like eight feet over the net. They're standing five feet behind the baseline. They, they hit great topspin on the ball and the ball lands three feet from the net. They're like, I thought that ball was gonna go out. And I'm like, no, 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 that's how you hit depth. You, height gives you the depth you want. And something that simple, like just understanding whether you're defending and that's when you're gonna hit it higher, give yourself more time to get back into the court rallying where you're just waiting for that shorter ball to maybe step around maybe into that C position and then be able to hit that inside out forehand. And then when you get that short ball and now you can attack, if as long as the student is making the right mental understanding of where they are in the court and what shot they should be going for, they are absolutely going to win more matches because now they're, like you said, having a more consistent go at it every time they go out onto the court. So, Claire, could you just give us a short summary of all five of these tips with what the tip is and just one sentence after? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my five tips, number one was the at-home exercises, working on the shadow stroke, whether it's your racket or your hand to really help visualize um, your swing and help that muscle memory and kinetic chain um, while we're not able to be on the tennis court right now. Number two, was footwork, the split step, such a valuable movement that is not used as much, I think, as it should be. And allowing yourself to do a split step um, helps you be more balanced and explosive on that first step, but it also makes you pay attention to when your opponent is hitting the ball, and you're going to get a lot of information once we start paying attention to your opponent. Number three was doubles, doing the triangle dance, working on really following the ball in that movement towards the net, back towards the service line, and then up again to that original position if your partner was serving, really helping you with your poaching and intercepting of the ball, but also recovering and helping protect the middle of the court. Number four was mental, trying to recreate the challenges that you face in matches and those pressure situations by, by adjusting the score. So if you're up 40 love, if you don't close that point, your score goes to zero and your opponent's score carries on. Number five was consistency with the game rally, attack, defend, really trying to help you be aware of your shot selection, where you are in the court, 
really improve your decision making and cut down on those unforced errors. Claire, with your playing and coaching experience, I'm sure you have a thousand and five tips for this type of segment. Do you mind if I have you on for a future episode? Oh, not at all. I would love that. Absolutely. That's, that's great. Everyone, if you follow, I'm not even going to say if, heck with that, because the amount of value you just received from Claire was unbelievable. When you follow Claire's best of five tips, there's no doubt you're going to gain confidence, win more matches, and play much better tennis. This is Ryan Reedy over at the Two Minute Tennis Podcast. Talk soon.